0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Living Water by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we open your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. Let us see Jesus, we pray this morning, as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a bit of a brief recap for those that were here uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We began a series entitled Replenish. And my goal this year, uh, if you have a look around, most people are kind of... We've got about half the church out. I've got text messages coming left, right and centre saying, you know, we're sick. Uh, uh, or we don't want to get sick so they're not here. But uh, for those who were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we started a series on Replenish, and my heart is that this year each of us would move or to lay a foundation that we move into this year with a different foundation Uh, uh, for those that uh, have been aware, you may or may not have noticed, but when the new year started, turns out that COVID hadn't gone anywhere. <laughs> turns out that we're still facing some interesting challenges as we move forward. And there's always going to be challenges, there's always going to be pressures, and there's always going to be fears and anxieties that we may be able to give into. But as we move through this year, my heart is that we would move into this year and live our lives full. So often we... Uh, For those who were here a couple of weeks ago, so often we we go through life uh, like my mother-in-law drives cars. She has a spiritual gift of driving a car for as long as she can on empty. Uh, She doesn't run it on the fumes, she runs it on the fumes of the fumes. And so uh, there are no Arabs making any money out of my mother-in-law. But many of us live life like that. And in fact, the number one thing that the enemy would seek to steal from us is our deep inner peace, uh, a deep inner tranquility, uh, which is a posture of life. Uh, Peace that the world gives uh, is vastly different to the peace that Jesus came to give us. You see, the peace that the world defines peace as the absence of conflict, uh, the absence of disturbance. So uh, not what's happening at the border of the Ukraine-Soviet Union at the moment. But there, it, it, it is. we would say that we are at peace when we don't have any disturbance or any kind of conflict. However, Jesus says to his disciples in the midst of the most tumultuous time of their life, when he is telling them, I'm going away, I'm not going to be here a little while and I won't be here in a little while and I will be They couldn't understand what he was talking about. But in the midst of that, Jesus says, my peace I give you. And the peace that Jesus has to offer us is a gift from God. And it's a peace that is an inner tranquility, despite troubles, challenges, or whatever may be coming against us. So the enemy would seek to rob us of that peace. And for those who were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Martha and Mary and how the number one thing that is needed, the one, number one thing that is necessary is that each and every one of us find our place at the feet of Christ. Often we think that Martha was rebuked or chastised for working, but that's not what Jesus chastises Martha for. In fact, we find that Mary was just as busy as Martha, except she was occupied differently. The challenge this year that I lay before everybody is that we would move from being occupied for Christ and that we would live our lives from a position of being occupied with Christ. That was the difference between Martha and Mary. Jesus chastises Martha, not because she's busy, but because she's distracted and because she's anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about much. One thing is needed, he says, and Mary has chosen. The better portion today. I want to talk about one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I've preached on this half a dozen times, and uh, I've said this a number of times, but it's important it's again today. There is one interpretation. There is one interpretation of Scripture, but there are many applications. That's very important as we open God's Word. Uh, often you may hear, "Oh well, that's the way you interpret it. I interpret it this way." No, we can discuss interpretation. Yes, we can. We can kind of maybe debate it and and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there is only one way we can interpret scripture, but there are many applications. This chapter has many applications in our lives. For those who uh, know, we'll be at John chapter 4 today, talking about the woman at the well and just a few things to kind of paint the picture of where we're going and a few things about this chapter. First of all, uh, I love this chapter because it is the chapter that highlights the fact that Jesus would never be locked into cultural taboos. I love that about Jesus. Jesus never allowed the current culture around him to determine and define how he operated and who it was he placed value on or why he placed value on them. I love this chapter. Why? Because Jesus, in a culture that would downtread and press women down, I'm going to get some brownie points right now, Jesus deliberately and intentionally raises the profile of women. And say what you like about women in ministry, but this lady is the first evangelist in the New Testament. We overcomplicate evangelism too much. All too often we're waiting for the next program, we're waiting for the next great evangelist, the next great move of God. Evangelism is really simple and this woman shows us how it should be done. Jesus deposits something in our lives and we go and tell people what he's done for us. And the results are amazing. A whole village in the end will turn to Jesus. In the end, they will say, you can read the rest of the uh, account for yourself when you get home. In the end, they say, we no longer believe because of the testimony you have. We believe because we've met him. And we know for ourselves that he is the Messiah after Jesus spends two days in their village. I believe, and I'm... uh, I won't get brownie points depending on who hears this. I believe that the church should pause for a moment and ask itself one big question as we move forward. What place should women have in ministry? And I think they should have a very important place. As we see today, women have a lot to offer when it comes to ministry. So I'm... There's some good emails coming, and you can forward them to me. The complaints go to Liz, but we'll move on to those. A little bit later. For for those who who don't know my history, uh, when I was in Tasmania, I I drove taxis for almost seven years, and I drove. I had three taxis. Uh, Basically, my testimony is this: for those seven years, if I wasn't asleep or driving a taxi, I was underneath one fixing one. One night, uh, I can remember I did brakes in the front of one of my taxis. took me 20 minutes to do the front brakes under lights in the car wash. And uh, I still have a reputation for that where I came to so say yes, you can. Uh, uh, but uh, one thing I did notice and one thing I did take away from that time, I met a lot of people when I was driving taxis. And Launceston's a small place. Launceston has a, a population of about 120,000-odd people, and they're all odd, yeah. <laughs> as you might be able to tell. But... Uh, one thing I began to realize, I picked up people. I picked up some of the leading business people in London, and I picked up people who were very famous from the television. Uh, I had clients that would ring me. The uh, prominent lawyers, uh judges, I picked up judges. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, and. Uh, I've also picked up the blue collar mill workers and those who are down and out. I found one common thing amongst every single person that I picked up. Didn't matter how much money they had in their bank, didn't matter how prestigious they thought their lifestyle was, didn't matter how many good or bad choices they had made through their life, I found one thing to be common. Each and every single one of them were deeply inner thirsty. And every Friday and Saturday night was all about trying to quench that thirst with the world's way of doing that. I saw the same people every Friday night. I saw the same people every Saturday night. I saw them going to the same parties, drinking themselves into the same stupor. I've seen marriages fall apart on the backseat of my taxi. I've seen them begin on the backseat of my taxi, which is a story... I could write a book, but I won't, because you don't want to know what happens on the backseat of people's taxis. But as much as you laugh, you think, you think maybe it's all a myth, what happens when the sun goes down it was a snapshot for me of the fallen human heart and we've got some big problems. And what we see on the surface, what we see with addiction problems, what we see with domestic violence, what we see with the breakdown of the institution of the family, what we see there is all symptomatic of a deep inner thirst that everybody has and they're trying to quench that thirst from the wells of the world and they are fallen short. Desperately. I saw women in violent relationships that would keep going back and back and back and back and back. Because why? Because they thought that that was all that there was for them in life. However tragic that is, and it's tragic, the reality also is that after over five years of pastoring, I've also discovered that many people come, not just here, but across the landscape, many people come in and out of church every Sunday and leave just as thirsty as they came in. And it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. There are parents sitting in this room that have got children that have grown up in church and gone through youth groups and what's happened? They get married and they start work and, and the illumine of life pulls them away. And they believe that they can quench the thirst that's on the inside. Blaise Pascal, a 16th century French mathematician. Would you believe they do mass in France? But a French mathematician by the name of Blaise Pascal said that we're all born with a God-shaped hole inside of us that only he can fill. Problem is, inside of churches and outside, we're running around trying to cram everything else in there. This is not a problem that just lies in the world. It lies inside of the church. We're desperately thirsty. Uh, all the way back in the time of Jeremiah, you read Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about guys, <laughs> how we kind of sum up ministry today. Well, these guys, uh, when we talk about how we measure success in ministry, uh, Jeremiah managed to get one convert, Baruch, who was his, the guy that took down all these prophecies. Isaiah, nobody. Ezekiel, everybody hated him. He even lost his wife. Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. We all know those famous words, right? Yeah, God, you've called me. Yeah, how many people here know a call of God on their lives? Yeah, God, they're all, you know, you could preach a million sermons about that. But I wonder how many people keep reading when God says, oh, cool, by the way, uh, no one's going to listen to you. If they were prophets and preachers today, I wonder how we would measure success. But back in the time of Jeremiah, you think things have changed? Nothing has changed uh, in the time of Jeremiah, called at the age of 12 to prophesy against the king. So there's <laughs> a feather in his cap. But he would spend his whole life prophesying. But right at the beginning, he says, God says, my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they have honed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns. Nothing's changed in centuries. Today, as we approach this narrative, my hope is that you will leave here knowing you don't have to thirst anymore. Many of us are desperately thirsty, and nobody has to. We, so many people say that the church in the West is shrinking, and they're kind of right, but they're wrong. The church in the West has certainly diminished in some respects, but a lot of what has happened The surveys have revealed, for those that are in surveys, a lot of what has happened is those that were kind of half-hearted and nominal have put their hand up and said, you know what? We've always said we were Christian, but we're kind of not. We're not going to pretend anymore. That's kind of what the surveys have reflected. But uh, thank you, Karen, for highlighting this morning that Muslims have dreams. Uh, Muslims still believe that the veil is up and that the only way God speaks to man is either through dreams or through prophets. Right now in Iran alone, Muslims are dreaming dreams of this Jesus. He can meet you wherever he is at. Muslims are having dreams. You think the church is receding? You have a talk to Iran right now, it has exploded. And we are in danger, we are in danger of missing out. Tune in next week for our first encounter service for the year, but tune in next week when we kind of... Jesus next week will ask a woman a very haunting question by which I believe he would aim at the church also. But we don't have to be thirsty. In fact, Christianity should not be abstract and cognitive and just something we think about, but we should, it should be a relationship that we deeply experience. And as we approach this woman today, I wonder whether maybe we could identify with her in some ways. Let's let's open up the passage in chapter four, verse one. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, verse three, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. I love this next part. And he had to pass through Samaria when geographically he did not. Which is very interesting geographically what Jesus could have done and what many Jews did do, because they hated Samaritans, a little bit about that in a moment, he could have crossed over the River Jordan, gone up through mostly Gentile country and crossed back to get to where he wanted to. He could have avoided Samaria. It was certainly the shorter way to go, but geographically he did not have to go that way. But maybe if I can be, uh, uh, take a little bit of free license this morning, maybe divinely he had to go that way. You see, our lives are filled, as this woman's about to highlight, our lives are filled with moments of the world, divine appointments, when unbeknownst to us, Jesus intersects us and kind of meets with us. I think many of us here would testify over the course of our life to moments when God, divine appointments in our lives, when we've had encounters with God. And he had to go, pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well, interesting, Jacob never dug any wells, but he did give the ground to Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And the sixth hour is about to become enormously important for what we learn. Because a woman from Samaria comes to draw water, verse 7 tells us. So who is this woman, uh, and why is Jesus here, and what is so prominent about this passage? Uh, This woman, as we know, is a woman from Samaria, and Jews did not have any association with Samaritans. A little bit of context. Reason is, they consider them to be heretics, for want of a better term, because the Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Bible. So they decided, they had concluded that they had all of the revelation and knowledge of God from five books of the Bible. Uh, By the way, Jesus will go on and tell this woman, you worship what you do not know. You worship somebody you don't know, which is going to be very important. But they thought, you know what, we've got it all. And, and, And the Jews held to the complete revelation given in the Old Testament, which included the prophets and the Psalms and the wisdom literature. And it had gotten to such a division that uh, Jews, any kind of association in any way with the Samaritan meant that the Jews were considered to be unclean, particularly women. Women of Samaria were considered to be continuously unclean. Here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about Jesus. This woman here, we will learn. Uh, We're going to learn in a moment that she has an enormous reputation. We're going to learn that she carries an enormous amount of shame. We're going to learn as we work our way through the passage that she at best has a small percentile theology. I mean, she has a half knowledge of God. She's worshipping somebody she has fabricated uh, like the rest of the Samaritans. We will learn that she has not had just one husband, but she's had five. And we're going to learn that the guy she's with now isn't even her husband. She comes to the well at the sixth hour, and what do we know about that? We know that she comes alone, which was not customary to do in Samaria in the first century. Why? Because it was dangerous. Women would come either first thing in the morning, or women would come at night as the sun was going down to collect water, and they would always come in groups. What are we beginning to learn about this woman? Not only does she has a, have a reputation, most people in the village don't associate with her. She's an outcast. Is what I love about Jesus. They're the kind of people that Jesus always meets at the well. Have you ever noticed that? I love that about Jesus. Uh, if, uh, here's a question you could uh, answer very quickly. If you're wondering, I wonder who God's going to do the next great thing through. Look for the most unlikely person around you, and God is going to do it with that person. In fact, the Bible is filled with people that God used the most unlikely person to do the most supernatural thing through. Moses, most unlikely person. Jacob, most unlikely person. Peter, the apostle, definitely the most unlikely person. And no matter what you bring today, no matter where you find yourself, no matter the shame perhaps you bring, no matter what your past says, no matter what you've done, no matter... How much of the Bible perhaps you even know today? Wherever you find yourself, I want you to know that Jesus is waiting at the well for you. Jesus is waiting at the well for you. If he was waiting for this woman, he's waiting for you. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And with all of her problems, what we're going to find is that two enormous problems that this lady has, I believe, most across generally across the landscape of church, we can identify with today. Let's find out what they are. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Another cultural taboo. Uh, a Jewish male would never be caught speaking alone with a woman unless he was courting or dating her. You don't speak to women unless their husbands are present. That's, that was just... I love how Jesus does, goes against the taboos. Verse 9, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John highlights that for us. Verse 10, really, really important verse. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God, number one. Number one problem we see that Jesus highlights with this lady is if you knew the gift of God, number two. And who it is that is saying to you, what is the gift? And who it is that is sitting at the well, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And how many of us are sitting here going, what on earth is this living water? And how many of us will echo the question from this lady in a moment, where on earth can I get this living water? It's not from Tasmania. From verse 11 to 15... Jesus will unpack the first part, what is the gift? From verses 16 down to 26, Jesus will go on to unpack the most important part, which is the second part, the identity of the one who is talking so let's, let's begin where Jesus does and move our way through. What could Jesus possibly mean? First thing I want to highlight about this word is the word gift that Jesus uses here to describe what he's talking about. This word gift is used four other times in the New Testament, uh, ex- almost exclusively. And four times in the book of Acts where it is used outside of this verse. It is always in reference to the Holy Spirit. Always. Always. Jesus says you have a gift. And I love that word because you can't earn a gift. You can't buy a gift. You you can't build up enough brownie points to get a gift. It's, it's, It's not dependent upon how holy you might be. It's not dependent on how super righteous you might be. It's not dependent on how much Bible you know. It is a gift from God. But how many people know that all gifts need to be received? Jesus will unpack how it is that we can receive this gift. Uh, Last time, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I I, I made it clear that Jesus did not come so much to remove our work and our busyness, but to change our occupation. And today I want to be clear before we go any further. Uh, Jesus did not come to remove your thirst. He came to quench it. In fact... Jesus says, speaking of the beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, he says, "Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied." Anybody here looking for some satisfaction? The Rolling Stones have been looking for it for some years. (laughs) Uh, uh, For those that for those that would advocate drugs, kill you. uh, I think it's Keith, the guitarist, would probably say, "I'm not sure," but he's, he's tried everything, right? Jesus didn't come to remove our thirst. He came to change what it is that we thirst for. And the word thirst in Scripture always speaks about our inner spiritual desire. Jesus came to be the all complete satisfaction of that desire. I love uh, the teachings of John Piper, uh, where John Piper would be an advocate for Christian hedonism. And what he means by that is that we are people who find all of our delight and all of our pleasure in the person of Christ, not what he has, get to that in a little bit later on, but in who he is. Many of us are thirsty, and many of us, I would argue today, may even be in ignorance of this wonderful gift. Most transforming moment in my life many years ago was when I realized that this gift is not a what and it's not an it, it's a who. Changed my life change my life because in a moment i realized that uh, this is not something i get this is not something I, re- I, I, I but rather it is a person i cultivate a relationship with and we cultivate relationships by spending time far too often it's, far too often we are far i believe all of us are guilty far too often of being ignorant of this wonderful person the holy spirit Jesus said to his disciples, physically, I'm leaving you, but it's for your benefit, advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, then I'm going to be with you spiritually forever. Wow. For whatever Benny Hinn has come today with waving coats and doing all the other theatrics that he does, I love his two books, Good Morning, Holy Spirit and The Anointing. Great books that open up the fact That Benny Hinn's testimony is: I just got up in the morning and started saying, Good morning, Holy Spirit. And it began to change his life. We all have a gift, and that gift is a person. Uh, That gift is the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, What is this living water? Wherever we find references to water in Scripture, it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. We know that uh, Isaiah and Joel both prophesy about the pouring out of God's Spirit. Isaiah would go on and say that it's pouring water on a thirsty land, and it's like streams in the deserts. Uh Isaiah says that the people of God will draw water from the wells of salvation. And of course, Jeremiah chapter 2 makes it very clear when he says that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I pray today that every person in this room will start this year and go through this year ceasing to drink from wells and beginning to drink from a fountain. So many of us are approaching the worlds of the world. Maybe even so many of us are like this lady here. We go daily in and out and weekly in and out. The same religious services. You can come to church. I've been in the Salvation Army. Let me tell you categorically, you can go to church for over 20 years and not know Jesus. I've seen it. You can give your money to the church and and still it makes no difference. And all the while, we have the greatest gift in the universe. You see, what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus says of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 is, really important word coming up where he says, "The, the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and of the Father and will testify or manifest or he will take from what is ours and make it real to you. Wow. That's why I love A.W. Tozer so much. A.W. Tozer grew up in an evangelical, conservative background. He searched through all the writings of the mystics and the swing from the rafters, kind of. And he found a beautiful middle ground where he said, you know what, we can live uh, uh, in a relationship with God, experiencing him each and every day. And that is far much more than goosebumps and hair standing up and whatever else. It's about a deep inner... Tranquillity. I I know personally that when I'm out of sync with God, everything in my life is just I've got it. Everything just goes out of control. Uh, I'll take a little bit of liberty and agree with somebody. Uh, Stephen Klein said out here some months ago and uh, if you want to know how they're going have a listen to the te- this guy's testimony he sits there and he says you know what we've been through a lot and for those here that know they know that their family's been through a lot he says we've been through a lot He says, but I don't know how anybody does this without Jesus wow Jesus says the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get this living water a little bit like Nicodemus do you have to crawl back into the womb slow down son Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He he gave us the world and drank from it himself. Yes, he is better than your father Jacob, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But... Whoever drinks, and, and the word drink speaks of receiving uh, that, that inner sustenance for ourselves. Whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, and this woman shows very clearly in this verse that she's deeply interested in what Jesus has. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. <coughs> so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water, but it's still clear that she's not sure where to get it from. Uh, I love reading about church history, and I've learned something. Um, For those that... Uh, I remember listening to a message recently about uh, the scripture we all know in Second Chronicles 7. Everybody knows that scripture, right? Uh, if my people will, will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Here's a little bit of context around that verse. Uh, what had happened, of course, is that the, the temple had just been built by Solomon. And it had just been dedicated and the glory of God had just completely come down and filled that whole building and everything's great. And here's what God has to say, really. Sometimes I think I'm black and white, but God, you are far more black and white than me. God says, you know what? When you forget me, when you begin to run after all your idols again, I'm paraphrasing now. And when I send pestilence upon you to correct you, if you will... Humble yourselves. Seek my face and pray. I will hear from heaven and heal your land. God knows what we're like, right? And, and I've been in Pentecostal circles long enough to hear the word revival thrown from wall to wall. Uh, I don't think we need revival. I'm a personal advocate for reformation. I think we need to completely reform the church. Uh, that We need a complete turning up upside down on our head. And God come and move in power. We need a move of God right now across the landscape of church. We need a, I guarantee you we need, a, we need a move of God inside of these walls. Uh, we need a move of God upon our hearts. We need a move of God upon our lives. This city out there, I go, to, I go to the gym with people every week that are desperately thirsty and trying to fill that hole. We've got people making covenants with the universe and all sorts of cray-cray crap. Right, Because they're trying to tap into the spiritual when it's sitting there for all of us. We need a move of God. And let me tell you where it begins. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I want revival, stop looking at the pastor, stop looking at the next great evangelist, stop looking at on, on the TV, stop worrying about books and get into your prayer closet because that's where it starts. It starts by drinking at the fountains of living water. It starts with personal revival in your heart and in your life. That's where it begins. Church history tells us that wherever there is a small or large pocket of people that decide, you know what, forget everything else, I'm just going to come and pray. Do you know in Iran right now, 200 people sitting in church, this is, this is where I start getting emails, 200 people sitting in the church in Iran right now, pastor stands up and says, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, 200 people are there. Over here in Australia, a pastor stands up and says, we're going to have a Maybe. Maybe 20 people. And we wonder why, right now, the church is exploding in Iran. They're paying a price. My prayer this year, please take this with the godly love that it's intended. This year, stop worrying about everybody else. Stop worrying about what the church down the road is doing. And get in your prayer closet and say, God, here I am. Have a look at what God will do. We want to live replenished and refreshed. John uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter says, Repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's keep reading on and cover off the second problem. Jesus said to her, uh, I love how Jesus does this. Jesus just knows how to say the right things and ask the right questions. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Straight to the point. No mucking around, no touchy-feely cup of tea crap, just straight to the point. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And in a snapshot, we see a thirsty woman that's been running from well to well to well to well to well to well to well, to well trying to find that deep inner satisfaction that she can only find in the person of Jesus Christ. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, not the prophet. A prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So let's quickly move through this now because a lot of people have questions about what on earth did Jesus mean with what comes next. But let's, let's read it out and cover it off very quickly. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What's the contention she's just raised? Samaritans say the place to worship God is on Mount Gerizim. Uh, the Jews would say you've got to be in the temple. Jesus says neither, which is interesting. Moving right along, you worship what you do not know. Wow. That sentence is enormously profound. We, collective, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. The hour speaking about an ecclesiastical moment in God's plan. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Wow. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This woman tries to deflect. Notice that? Starts talking about husbands and, and worlds and everything that she's been running to. Minute she tries to sidestep. Well, let's get on to theology then. I don't want to talk about me. How many of us do that, by the way, when God starts nailing us down? I don't want to talk about me, so she sidesteps. If you're going to have a theological discussion, probably don't do it with Jesus. <laughs> but I love this because so often we can get locked into the same. You see, worship. We think worship is is what happens here, and praise is the first two songs we sing, and worship's the last three songs we sing. When actually, singing is an expression of worship. Worship is a posture of life. What Jesus is saying is uh, worshipping God will not be about religious practice and ordinance and ceremony. It won't be about where you are located physically, but it will be about a deep, intimate relationship with the living creator of the universe. And worship must flow from that intimate relationship. The Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's about a deep, intimate connection. And now I want to finish off because so many people here are saying, how, where, where do I get this living water? What do I have to do? Well, we have to understand that the source of this gift is Jesus. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah. Now that word Messiah is about a sermon series of about 12 months, I reckon. But that word Messiah, for all that is packed inside of that word, what she's saying there is, when I know that the Saviour, when I know that the one that's fulfilling all of the promises, when I know that that one, the Messiah, we know that when he comes, who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus makes something abundantly clear to her that I would desire to make clear to you, I who speak to you am he. First problem this lady had was she could not understand the gift of God. And she's drinking from wells when there's a fountain available. And second one is she could not understand the identity of who it was that was sitting at the well. You're a prophet. I think one of the, possibly one of the greatest dangers facing uh, particularly the Western Church right now today is the fact that we are beginning to lose who. Jesus is. That's why we're doing the book of Revelation. Because the, revelation, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It unpacks the immense glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, that meek and mild Jesus we so often see in paintings, you know, the long blonde hair holding the lamb. Yeah, well, in the book of Revelations, he rides a white horse with a sword. And he's got a tattoo running down his leg. Different Jesus. He's the king. My fear is, my greatest fear is that we will see Jesus as utilitarian. That is that Jesus is all about what we can get from him. I hear that far too much. I have far too many conversations with people not here, but in other churches as well. Well, you know, uh, we're just trying to find a church that has this and has that. Look, if you're going around, let me make the journey really quick for you. Go around all you like to find the perfect church. You're not going to find it. They don't exist. This is family. Far too often the cross of Christ has become more about enhancing our life. Yeah, we want the cross of Christ that takes away our shame and cleans up all of our nakedness and all the dirty stuff. But uh, when in reality the cross of Christ has come to slay sin in your life, nothing less. Slay the sins. We think that we can kind of get God. The cross is something I can use to kind of clean up all the dirty areas. But I want to keep these little pet sins for myself. You can't do that and have a vibrant, intimate relationship with the living God. You can't do it. Jesus made it clear. Those who come after me must take up their cross. All too often we perceive Jesus as being an addition to our life. I see this far too often. Far too often. Uh, For those who are unaware, our mission statement here is to passionately pursue the preeminence of Christ in all things. What that basically means is we want to help you make Jesus number one in every part of your life. I see it as my calling and my job here to do whatever I have to do to lead you and urge you and guide you that we all together make Christ number one. All too often, I, I hear, I'm involved in conversations and I hear stuff that sounds like, well, you know, all, this is all of my life and we just sort of tack Jesus on the end. If I've got time for Jesus, I'll turn up. You know, if it's not grandma's birthday next week and, and if it's not, and if it's, you know, you can have birthday parties six days of the week. what we prioritise and what is number one in our lives will show up in our lives. But here's the big one, and it's the word this woman uses to describe We don't have a name for her, but it's the same letter that she uses. She says, you are a prophet. And far too often today, I wonder whether Jesus is a saviour, a Lord, a Messiah, or is he your Lord? Is he your saviour? Big difference. Jesus came to move people into a personal relationship with him. There is no other fountain in the universe to quench your inner thirst than that relationship with the living Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let me just read how this ends and I, I want to bring this to a conclusion this morning. Jesus said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he... Verse 27, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, Here's, oh, this is profound. So the woman left her water jar. She came to draw water. She becomes so overwhelmed with her encounter with Christ that she leaves her water jar. And she runs back to the village. You can read the rest for yourself when you get home. She runs back to the village. And so many people give their lives and come to faith in Christ. And when we encounter Christ, we will leave our water jars. We will leave our worlds. Uh, I urge you, as we come to a conclusion, to abandon the dry, empty worlds of this world. And there are many. To abandon your water jars... And to come and to drink from the fountain. This year, let's set aside all of those other things. We can become preoccupied with many things. We can, we can chase after an inner satisfaction in many places. But the place that we will find it is in a relationship. Uh, I, I want to challenge you today. Get into your prayer closet. Make room for God. Start with the words, Good morning, Holy Spirit, I invite you. And just see what he begins to do in your life. Just open your Bible without any agenda. You see, we find that Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ, doing what? Listening. Just open your Bibles and say, Here I am, Lord, speak to me. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we are all thirsty. If we are honest with ourselves, We are not where we want to be in our relationship with you. I want more of you. For every drop that I have from the fountain, Father, I want more. It makes me thirstier. But Lord, so often we can feel like that dry, arid land and we can cry out and say, Lord, we need streams in the desert. Pour out your spirit, we pray as we open ourselves and as we open our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come flooding in. I pray for everybody in this room that is thirsty, that they would come to the fountain of living waters and they would drink no longer from the wells of this world, but from the fountain. Father, thank you for that wonderful gift. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in this place. Thank you that you are with us. As we sit here today, I cry out and I say, we need you, Father. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you in our churches. We need you in our hearts and in our lives. We need you in our families. And we desperately also need you in this community. In Jesus' name we pray this morning.